Hello, welcome to Motherhood Out Loud, a safe place for mothers to talk openly about their experiences without fear of judgment or shame. Our hope is for women to realize that we're not alone in the variety of emotions we feel and that we're able to provide a more loving community for future moms. Let's take take our our power power back and and live motherhood motherhood out loud. With Carla and Cindy. Hi guys, welcome back. Today we have a special guest with us, Alex. She's a daughter, wife, mother, and advocate for grief. Grief is a port of life, but once we lost our daughter, I realized we don't talk about grief or loss in a healthy manner. And I'm in a mission to break the stigma and be living proof that joy and grief can coexist. Hi, Alex. We're so happy to have you and so honored that you're willing to share your story with us. Hi, ladies. Um, Thank you for having me. Um, I know this was a long time coming. Yes, we've been planning it for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And Alex, can you tell us a little bit more about your family and about you? Okay, so I'm 34. 34. Don't want to age myself. <laughs> and I've been married to my husband for, it'll be 11 years this July. Wow. And we've been together for 15 and we have three daughters, one in heaven and two here. Mm-hmm. Um, we had our first daughter, ours, biologically, and then our two other daughters were via IUI and um, donor sperm. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And when you all got together, was par- becoming parents like at the front line of of your thoughts right away? Well, it's funny because I always wanted to adopt. And I told him, if you don't want to adopt, I can't marry you. Like, that's non-negotiable for me. Really? And he was like, yeah. And he was like, wow. okay. And then uh, after we got married, we went to Hawaii and I got pregnant. So I tell everyone, those are very fertile islands. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have PCOS. So my doctor is like, wow. well, you probably can't get pregnant. And that's why I wanted to adopt. Because I thought, okay, at mm. 18, my um, gynecologist told me I have PCOS. And I told him up front, too, I was like, I may have trouble getting pregnant. So I think that's what uh, fueled uh, my love for adoption. Mm. And um, then I got pregnant on our honeymoon. And it was at at 19 weeks gestation, we found out that our daughter, Noelle, had a terminal condition called HLHS. And it stands for hypoplastic left heart syndrome. So that mm. means the only that only her left side of her heart was grow um no, only the right side of her heart was growing. The left side was it didn't grow at all and you can visibly see on the ultrasound how small it was. Um we also found out uh, we had to get genetic testing. So she I had an amniocentesis with her and we found out that she had an extra chromosome of the third. So it was another, it was trisomy, you know, with Down syndrome, Down syndrome is trisomy 21. So she had trisomy three. And because of that, she had a brain defect, kidney defect, her heart defect. Um, and so the doctor gave us the opportunity to terminate. They couldn't do it in the state of Texas. So they told us we could go up to New Mexico, but um, I wanted to carry her as far as I could. We knew that she could be a stillborn um, because trisomy three is um, very, very rare. I haven't met anybody else with that specific condition. Um, I'm sure I'm, I know there's people. Well, I know there's people out there with HLHS, but trisomy three, I've never met a living person. Um, so we didn't really know much and they couldn't really tell us much at all. And so we carried her until 39 weeks. And she was born on April 26th of 2013. Um, I had her VSC section. That was a choice that I made that was best for our family because um, they told me that because of her heart condition and the stress that the heart goes through, the baby goes through, she probably wouldn't live a vaginal birth. So I decided, we decided, let's, let's have a voluntary C-section. 
And so we did. And she stayed with me. She was never hooked up to any machines or anything. We had NICU come in and check on her. We had her at Las Palmas. And I still think hands down, it is an incredible hospital. Um, and we took her home. We took her home on hospice. And she was with us for 15 days. And then after that, um, we went to go see a genetic counselor in Houston because we didn't have any here in El Paso. And so she couldn't really tell us much because we found out that my husband, we both got genetically tested. My husband, Caleb, carries the genetic defect that was trans transferred to our daughter, Noelle. And that is called a balanced translocation. And what that means is his 10th chromosome and his third chromosome are per perfectly switched. There's little the little pieces in each chromosome. They were perfectly switched. So he was balanced. Like he's like if you were to see him, you would never know. He runs marathons, avid runner, he's a teacher, very healthy person. Um, so he they told us the chances of having healthy kids are probably slim if our first one died. So and that was our first year of marriage. <laughs> Can you believe that? So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. just to backtrack a little bit, I mean, there's just so much that we could ask, but um, when you all found out I, that, you know, that she was, she had these birth defects, what, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if it's like appropriate to ask, but I just, you know, I know just how did that day go? What, you know, I'm sure you all were excited to get like an ultrasound and then to just, feel like your whole world kind of come down and how did you all navigate it through the rest of your pregnancy? Um, so we went in to find out the gender via ultrasound. Uh, we found out she was a girl and then that Friday they called me in Monday and said, you know, some things popped up. We need you to come in. Um, and I went by myself and then the doctor told me, I can't see you anymore. I am not a maternal, maternal fetal medicine doctor. I need to transfer you to another OB. And I said, well, what's going on? And he said, I can't. There's just things wrong with her heart. And then, of course, oops, of course, I'm a wreck. I mean, I, I didn't, I composed myself, but inside I was screaming. And I just remember getting in my car and just losing it. And I didn't even know who I, it's not that I didn't know who to call. I think my thoughts were just so scrambled that I thought, do I call my mom? Do I call my husband? Like who, like, I've never known anyone to carry a baby to their death. And so I felt like I did not know. I didn't know what to do. I was 24, a newlywed. Um, yeah, I just felt, I, I felt I was making decisions that a 24 year old is too immature to make. Uh, cause we were also given the option to have surgery via utero when she was still in me to try to fix her heart. And we would have to fly or to San Antonio, or I could have her, um, after the C-section, we could have her have heart surgery, but they told us she probably wouldn't make it because her heart isn't that strong and she has so many other defects. But if we did try to do, if we did try that route, um, that it would have to be in either San Antonio, Austin, or Houston. So we wouldn't be in near any family or we could have her here in El Paso and just do um, comfort care and hospice. And so it's just all these decisions that you would never have to think you would have to make for your child, let alone your newborn baby. Um, so it was, um, I, I, I don't know, like I, it, it's almost 10 years from when it happened. She would have been 10 this April. And I think how did I do that? Like, how did I survive that? Um, sorry. 
I told my husband the hardest thing that I ever had to do, the hardest thing, and we've been through a lot of other losses post, post her, is carrying her to her death. To feel her kick and know that the safest place she could be is inside me. And knowing the moment that she is outside of me, she may take one breath and that's it. And so knowing, like feeling her kick and feeling the moves and feeling everything. And I mean, our doctor was so gracious. He gave us um, 3D ultrasounds every appointment. So we got to see her every single time. And he brought me in more often than any other patient. Um, he was very, very kind. Um, still to this day, after all the other losses, after failed fertility treatments, failed adoption, losing our fertility, carrying your child and knowing they're going to die, that's, that's the hardest thing I've ever chosen to do. And I know it's not for everyone. Um, and I don't judge people who make a different decision. Because still to this day, I mean, like I told you, it's 10 years and it's still. Um, I don't judge anyone for a different decision because it's, it's hard. And it's some trauma that you that stays with you that I don't think anyone else will understand unless they've been through it. But I don't regret it. Um, because it gave me the time with her. We were able to celebrate her first birthday, her one week birthday. Um, and just, I, and I know the blessing it was that I had that I got to hold her and smell her and kiss her and touch her. Cause I know not everybody gets that if they go through a miscarriage or a stillbirth. I don't understand, I, I don't understand those losses. Um, I've never been through those losses. So I don't know. So I, it was the hardest thing I've ever, I've, I've ever done. But I also know the rewards that came with it, you know? Right. And when you and your husband were talking about whether, like your options at that point, whether to wait until, you know, further along gestation and she was born or just um, delivering her at 20 weeks. What were those conversations like and what what made you come to that decision of, of waiting? Um, so for him, he he originally was like, let's 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 terminate the pregnancy. Like this is hard. I remember we were both laying on the bed, just sobbing, sobbing and holding each other. And I told him, I said, no, like, I don't want to do that. And I played the, I'm carrying this baby card. <laughs> I have more, more weight, you know, I, I'm, I'm carrying most of it. Like I'm literally carrying most of the weight. So um, I said, I don't, I don't want that. Like I, I guess I had hope. I had hope that they just read everything wrong, even though every appointment we had after that, something new came up. Um, the brain defect was worse. The kidney defect was worse. The heart defect was worse. I mean, she was teeny tiny little thing that was born at four pounds, barely four pounds full term. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess I, I had hope. I had hope they were wrong. And, and, I let that hope carry me for um, for as long as it could, you know, because I because the doctors did say, you know, she may be stillborn because they don't they, they don't know, you know, um, right. even at the beginning of pregnancy, they can't guarantee you a healthy baby and a healthy pregnancy and a healthy delivery. Um, I just had hope. I had hope, and I wanted to carry and. Uh, as much as much trauma as it was, I loved being pregnant. I absolutely loved it. How your body changes, how you feel every kick, 
the insane heartburn and acid reflux. <laughs> um, it was, um, it was all just, and I saw it as a gift because I know, because I knew, hey, what if I can't get pregnant? And I got pregnant mm-hmm. right away. And so I knew there's some women out there, even some of my family members who would have given anything to me in my shoes. And so I didn't want to take it for granted, even though the outcome wasn't going to be what we want. Hmm. And how did you all navigate grief um, as a couple independently? I know, um, like I know becoming new parents in and of itself like changes marriages and sometimes it puts a lot of strain so in a case like this, you know, and and especially since your husband, I guess, wasn't completely on board at the beginning to go the full full way, he was just like, let's, you know, which understandably, it's just, I, I, I mean, who knows what anyone would do in that, you know, in that time. But how was it to navigate it together? Did it did it push you guys apart a bit, or did you have to find your way back to each other? Oh yeah, it wrecked us. I mean, it completely wrecked, it completely wrecked me and it was, it was hard. Like I said, we were 24 and 27 and just making decisions that you never thought you'd have to make and going through things uh, you never thought you would have to go through. And so I went through postpartum depression and I didn't know it was postpartum depression because I lost her and postpartum anxiety um, and then, of course, it lasted much longer um, because of everything we went through. And so that diagnosis for me took a lot longer than I should have. It should have. And that was my error. But again, I was just surviving. We were just surviving. And so everyone grieves differently, um, just like everyone loves differently. And so what I needed during my grief and what he needed. Um, yeah, sometimes we just look at each other and we're like, dang, how did we survive that together? You know, I mean, there was a point that I, I did, I signed divorce papers and I said, I can't do this. Like, let's just, let's just quit. And in that moment, he fought for me. And I'm very thankful because I had no fight left for myself or for us. And so I'm very thankful for modern medicine, not just for fertility treatments, but for for personally for me for antidepressants and for anxiety medication. I'm thankful for counseling. I'm thankful for I mean, I there just came a point in my grief where I was either going to hit even further rock bottom or I had to choose to fight. And I chose to fight for myself. I don't want to say I chose to fight for our marriage because I barely had enough energy to function. Right. And so um, I'm just very thankful that he fought for me when I had no fight. But there's been points in our marriage where I've had to fight for him where he had no fight left either, you know? So it's, um, I don't, I, I can't tell you this magic equation. (laughs) Everyone grieves differently and everyone, like I said, loves differently. And so for me, what really, um, I didn't grieve in a healthy way is very unhealthy. And um, we grieved different different times. So there are certain things that I grieved, uh, like, um, so when we lost her, his side of the family were popping out babies like crazy. Hmm. Like everyone was getting pregnant every time babies. And we were very thankful. I was happy for them and sad for me. You know what I mean? And it was, um, it was hard. It was hard to, to see that. And so um, there were certain things that we'd see first birthdays, first steps, first in our family or even in our friends and, I grieve those things that we didn't get with our daughter. And so my husband didn't grieve those things 
until we had our second daughter, Liv. And he, he would come to me uh, and say, oh my gosh, we didn't, we missed all this with Noel. And I'm like, yeah. And I told him, I said, it's okay to be sad about it. Like, I already grieved it, but since I grieved it, like, I think that's a gift that we get to grieve at different times. Because mm-hmm. I can be the support for you like you were the support for me, you know? And um, I seriously, I honestly think that's a gift because if, if we're both falling apart and grieving mm-hmm. and in a darkness at the same time, like, I don't think we would have, I think, I don't think we would have made it. And when you took your baby home, can you walk us through the days at home and how, I mean, what, how was it to be, I guess, it's about holding a lot of emotions, I guess, right at once and that contradict each other. I'm sure you were super like happy to see her in a way and just be able to see what she looked like and, but also and bringing her home, right? Because I think that's a big deal. She got to be home with her loved ones and, but just also knowing like what's to come. I just, how were those days? Where is it just a blur? Do you remember? Um, some things I don't remember. Like some things, some people will talk about and I'm like, oh yeah, that happened. Um, so we had an apartment and then in February of 2013, I told my parents, I can't, I can't do this. Like I need to live, I need to move back in. Like this is just too hard because my dad was retired and he would take me to all my appointments and everything. And I just, I needed, I needed the companionship. Mm -hmm. And so after we had her, we took her home, but we took her to my in-laws. And then my parents ended up moving into their house as well. So it was all of us. I mean, we had the amount of support we had was immeasurable. I mean, from near and far, it was, I mean, my husband's best friends flew in from Canada. Wow. Um, last minute to come, to come be with him and be with us. And so those emotions were, you're right. It was, it was confusing. My heart was mm-hmm. confused. Um, my brain knew, but my heart was confused. And so. When she passed away on May 11th, I remember I woke up the next day, May 12th, and my mother-in-law was like, I'm sure you didn't sleep. And I told her, that's the best sleep I've had in months. Mm. And I did not realize what I was carrying and how tired I was until it wasn't mine to carry anymore. And your body remembers trauma every year around Easter. You just get heavy. You just get heavy whenever the tra- when the, the time of year. And last year, I remember I told my husband, my heart feels okay. But my body's telling me to remember. And that's okay. I need to slow down a bit. Mm-hmm. And so I do. Even 10 years out, almost 10 years out, my body's like, hey, remember we went through this? Remember remember what you carried? And, you know, I during that time of year, I slow down just to listen to my body and respect it for what it carried. And still, it's still carrying me through a lifelong mm-hmm. journey. And 10 years, almost 10 years later, how... How do you all honor her memory? And it's just, I can't imagine. It's just, it's hard. And I know you've had happy moments, obviously, in the last 10 years. And you've welcomed your other daughters. And so allowing, like you said in, you know, in the bio that you wrote, like allowing those two things, joy and grief, to coexist. And how are you carrying her? How do you all carry her through your life and still honor her memory? So uh, when I was, I'm severely, when I say severe, I mean severely lactose intolerant. And when I was pregnant with Noel, I could eat all the dairy I wanted. And so I went to town on ice cream. 
like I ate tubs of ice cream non like and people are like, you're eating for two. I was eating for like eight. <laughs> and once I had her, I, I'm, I'm still lactose intolerant. I was lactose intolerant with my other two pregnancies. So every day on her birthday, uh, April 26th, we ask all our family and friends to eat ice cream in her honor. Hmm. And it is so beautiful. Our friends near and far from Florida, Arkansas, other parts of Texas, California, to see them post a picture of them eating ice cream with their family. And it gives them, and I remember we started at her first birthday, and it gives them an opportunity to talk about death and grief. Mm. And they do it in the way they see fit. Because their kids ask, what is this for? And the fact that they can talk about it in such a healthy way, in a way that's just, hey, this sometimes this happens and this is how we're honoring her. Like it's, to me, it's just so beautiful that they would, they would do that for us. And then on May 11th, the day that she died, we usually buy a cake from like Albertsons, usually Albertsons. And we write a letter and some pictures and we put it in an envelope and we pay for a little girl's cake that would have been her age. And we mm-hmm. tell them why we purchased their cake, um, that they share the same birthday, even though it's a different, like her heavenly birthday as opposed to their actual birthday. And we just wanted to, you know, bless them in that way. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. I, and we also have like, um, over here, we, we made like a little Build-A-Bear there mm-hmm. and we'll take that. And the girls know, they're like, oh, that's Sissy Noel bear. And they'll put mm-hmm. her in the swing and they'll take pictures with her and they'll change her. And our girls know death. Uh, they don't know the magnitude of grief, but they know their sister died. They know we talk very openly about them being sperm donor conceived. And we talk to them and that's, that's what works for our family. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to push any agenda or anything, but we just want us to be very open with our daughters because one loss led to other things. And we want to be honest, you know, they have sperm donor and we call it, um, we tell them that their dad, Caleb's eggs are sick. So we had to borrow a healthy, not cake. Was it eggs? His sperm. I have the eggs. His sperm. don't call it sperm. Oh, I'm trying to think. um, I don't know. (laughs) But we just tell them, hey, daddy's sick. So we needed a little bit of help. And. We had to borrow some stuff from another person with healthy stuff. Um, Mm. And there's even a book and we read the book to them about being a sperm donor child. And like I said, that's, that's just what we thought was best for our family. And we just wanted to be honest and open with our girls from, from the beginning as, as early as we could. Yeah, that's amazing. And do they ask a lot of questions or are they just kind of like, okay, like, well, we, I mean, we have pictures of her, and so they know, oh, that's Sissy Noel, and they'll ask, and we'll say, oh, her heart, and like, oh, her heart was sick, and we go to her gravesite, so they know what a gravesite looks like, and we go and sing happy birthday and read Psalm 30, 139 together on her birthday every year as well, and, and so um, they don't ask, I mean, they ask age-appropriate questions, you know, like a five-year-old and a three-year-old would, but um, they don't know, they don't know grief yet. And what would be your, you know, biggest tips? Cause I have friends that have, um, had stillborn deliveries and things like that. And it's pretty fresh for some of them. And just what would you being, you know, 10 years out, um, what's your biggest piece of advice for them or pieces of advice? Um, 
for them or for you, like for you to say to them or for you? We could do both, you know, we could for them and then for people that love them and are just trying to be of help during their journey. For them, I think my biggest regret, I don't have very many regrets, you know, because I think we all learn from our mistakes, is not like not getting help sooner, whether it be being on prescription meds for my depression, going to counseling sooner. I mean, I waited like literally years, years and years and years. And I delayed my healing. I like, I stole so many years for myself. And so even if you think, oh, I'm being dramatic or it's not that bad, like the help is there. So get help. It's scary. It's so scary. Um, and counseling, I truly believe in counseling. And it's okay to counselor shop. Like you're not, you're not going to click with every person and you're not going to click with every counselor. So if you go to one counselor and you know what, I went to one counselor and it doesn't mean she was a bad counselor, but she was like, I've never had a patient that has had infant loss. And so we met one time, it just didn't work out. It doesn't mean she wasn't a good counselor. It, she just wasn't for me. And mm-hmm. it's okay. Go to one. And it's, I will say it's exhausting. It's tiring because you're sitting there pouring your heart out and then it doesn't work out. So it's discouraging. But just don't stop advocating and fighting for yourself. Um, and then surround yourself um, with people that are just going to listen because there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of opinions. Oh, you should have done this. You should have done that. I would have done this. I would have done that. Why didn't you do this? As your friend, I truly believe, and as your child's mom, I truly believe you did everything you could and you advocated the best for your child. Mm -hmm. You knew, and you, you did what was best in your mental and emotional state that you were in. Like I said, you're making a lot of decisions that you never thought you were going to have to make. And so just find people that will listen, even if it's just one person, even if it's just your counselor. Hmm. You know, like it's just so important for people to just listen instead of talk. There's a lot of noise. Um, And for a friend to help another friend that has been through that. Write the important dates in your phone. For me, it's April 26th and May 11th. Put it in your phone. I mean, you don't have to put these dates for me in your phone. Right. But your friends, like, I'm just using myself as an example. But April mm-hmm. 26th, um, Alex's daughter's birthday, or Noelle's birthday, Alex's daughter. May 11th, the day Noelle passed away. And honestly, all you have to do is text them. And you don't have to say anything more than, I'm thinking of you today. I love you. Mm-hmm. That's it. And it will literally mean the world. Or one of my friends, she was like a mentor to me. She would send me cards um, on those days. And I loved that. I loved receiving the cards in the mail. I'm like, wow, like to take the time to write something, put a stamp on it, walk to the mailbox. Like, and I know it doesn't take that much effort, but nowadays it really does, you know? Mm-hmm. And Simple little things. You don't have to do extravagant. I mean, of course, they're going to appreciate a meal train where you do meals for them. I mean, those things, but they think the first year is the hardest. For me, it was the second year. And mm-hmm. a lot of people go silent the second year. And you, as a mom of a child who has died, and I'm going to use this as an example. My husband just lost his father his dad. So we just lost our father-in-law. And when we lost him, someone started this Facebook page to just write memories of him and stories of him. And I told my husband, I was like, I'm so glad your mom has this. I'm so glad that she has these memories to look back on read because sometimes she probably didn't even know half of them. I said, but I'm sad that we didn't get those for Noel." 
So a mom's biggest fear is that you're going to forget her child. And so when everyone's there that rallying around you the first year and then it slowly dissipates year after year after year, 10 years out, um, you don't want people to forget your, your child. And so that's why we do ice cream and buy cakes and have a bear and take family pictures with the bear and play with the bear because that's how we see fit to honor our daughter. But to remember them on their loved one, their child on the third year, fourth year, fifth year, they did not forget that their child's, their dead child's birthday is coming up. Like they didn't forget that five years out. Just like you don't forget your five-year-old's birthday. We don't forget that either. And I know you, I know you ladies know that. Um, and so having that date and having it repeat every year, because I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I've had, um, cause I'm very open about our journey. So I have a lot of dates in my phone and I'm not going to sit here and say, I remember every single one. No, I'm like, oh shoot. I need to text this person. It's so-and-so's son's birthday, but it's, it's just a good reminder. And I think a big fear of like friends and family or most, I guess, mostly friends is that you don't want to bring them up, right? You don't want to bring up their child because you don't know, like, do they want to be talking about them, I guess, you know, but I think, I don't know what, I guess you're never bothered to talk about them, right? I mean, they're your, they're your kids. It's like, we're never bothered as moms. We could ramble on and on about our kids. It's like, okay, yeah. It's the same, like you want to talk about her. You want to share. Exactly. You said it perfect. You do. I mean, there's not a day that goes by that we don't think about her to this day. How, I mean, she's, she's going to, she would have been double digits. And I love birthdays. I love birthdays for my girls. And because I tell people, I'm like, no, let's celebrate big because it's a privilege. It's a privilege to turn another year older. So let's celebrate big or small, whatever. Because me, I'm like, let's just get pizza and watch a movie at home. And that's my perfect birthday. But we're still celebrating something, you know? And so you don't don't be scared. If And if they start crying, the t- they were either going to cry in front of you or cry behind closed doors. But the fact that you gave them the space to be vulnerable and cry in front of you makes you a safe space for them. And I know it's very uncomfortable to talk about it, like loss, death in general, but especially infant loss, because that's everybody's biggest fear. I don't, I don't want my kids to die. I don't want to bury my child before they bury me. But talking about it is healthy. And just like mental health or any, any of that, grief is healthy and talking about loss and everything that is intertwined with loss and grief is healthy. Yes, we can grieve. Like I said, I did grieve in a very unhealthy way. But once we open the door to let our loved ones talk about our, their grief, um, a lot of walls come down and I'm very thankful. Like since my father-in-law died, we were a lot of, um, most of his family was like, they talk about our father, my father-in-law a lot. And I told them, I said, let's keep talking about him because we want to, and we miss him. And this trend, this new normal that seems so wrong is hard. And it'll, it'll never feel okay, like normal, but talking about them is normal, if that makes sense. And how, how do you think grief has changed you? Oh, goodness. Um, it has wrecked me in the worst and best ways. Um, I am very, I'm not, I'm not the person who I I was at 24. 
because I've learned a lot through each new loss because Noel was our first loss. Uh, like I said, we lost our fertility and then we lost, uh, we adopted and it, it failed. Uh, and then we went through failed fertility cycles. And so it's made me, I'd want to say more compassionate and more caring. Um, it's made me, I mean, as cliche as it sounds, it's made me the woman who I am today. You know, it's made me, I've lived a lot of life for not a lot of years, you know, um, and not in an arrogant way, but in a, I wouldn't want anyone to live that much life in 10 years. And right. actually it was four years between Noel and having our first daughter. So we had all those losses in our first four years of marriage. And so um, it made me grow up a lot, um, but it also made me want to be loud about grief and mental health and how it won't always be this hard. And I don't know, for me, it took, it took seven years. Hmm. Um, I remember one of my coworkers asked, he said, when did you stop crying so much? Because he went, him and his wife went through similar, similar loss. And I told him it took me seven years. And he was like, that's comforting. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, it took my wife five. Hmm. And I think we don't talk about that much, you know, and we don't talk about how the compounded loss from the first loss um, builds the trauma and builds the grief on different aspects. And, and grief is evolving just like life is evolving. So after we had our daughters, everything didn't become peachy keen. Mm -hmm. um, I am still currently on antidepressants and anxiety medication I thankfully got off my sleep aid and that's not to scare anyone. It's just being honest. Like I, I, I need the help and that's okay. And mm -hmm. I go to counseling and that's okay. Um, but we just, we think, oh, okay, well, it's been a year. Let's get over it. It's been two years. You should be okay. You've had your baby. You have two healthy babies now. Like you've been able to carry two healthy babies and have vaginal births and, be back and aren't you and it's like you can have all the things in the world but if you don't healthily work through the trauma and the pain and the hurt that you have experienced because life just hands you some just sour lemons it doesn't matter um and so I want anybody listening to know that you are your biggest advocate and you you're going to have to fight a fight, an internal battle. And that feels so wrong because it's you against you. Um, not that grief is bad. I think grief is good and grief is healthy. Um, and we're all going to grieve at some point in time if you already haven't. And I would just like to break the stigma of grief as being a bad thing. Because there are times when I see my girls holding hands, playing together, and I cry. And that is joy and grief coexisting because I am fully taking in that moment that my two living daughters are here, but I'm also very aware that my firstborn is not here. And that's okay. You know, it's okay to cry at the moments and it's okay to have Grief is a lifelong journey. I don't, I don't think there's going to be complete healing on this side of heaven. Hmm. Can I think I am more healed than I was ten years ago? Heck yeah. Right. But, um, I mean, right now with you ladies, I cried, and I did not expect to cry. I can usually talk about it. Um, no tears. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you go back and you feel those emotions and that's okay. 
And Alex, I think, I mean, me and Carla are also on grieving journeys of our own. Um, and I think for me, a big question is like, how do you parent through grief? Oh, to your daughters, how, like how, you know? I let them see my grief. I don't shy away from it. When I am sad, especially during that time of year, I I cry in front of them. And if they ask, I tell them, you know, it's because I miss your sister. And my heart, my heart misses her and I hurt. And I want her here. And she's not. And that makes me very sad. And usually my five-year-old mom, Five-year-old's like, okay, mom, and like walks away. And my three-year-old is the more clingy um, mama's girl. And so she'll hang on to me and and comfort me a little more. Not that my five-year-old doesn't. Because she'll run and, she's an active service person, run and get me juice or, I don't know, chocolates or something to make me feel better because uh, that's what we want. And, you know, and I'll let her do that because I know she's trying to help. Um, so to parent through grief, I feel like that is a hard question for me to answer because I how old are your your kids? Uh mine's about to be 3. And, and Carla's is 3 and a half. I think before this summer July. but yeah. She never knew my mom. Mm. So for us is that struggle of I want to tell her about her, and I try to, but it's such a, they don't know, right? And she's so little still at that age that she can't understand that mom has a mom, right? Like, she mm-hmm. kind of, she's very close to my father, and she gets that because she gets to meet him and touch him. But right now, mom is mom, and there's nobody before mom. And she doesn't understand that when I tell her, abuelo's my dad, she's like, no, that's a willow. Like, there's no connection to grandparents, right? Like, she doesn't get what they mean to her parents. She just know what they mean to her. So, to me, the straw is always like, I had a mom. And she's like, no, mommies don't have moms. Mommies are just mommies. That's it. And for me to tell her, like, there is this person that was very important to mommy, that was very important to your tío, there's no that connection. And I think for me, that's the hardest part of like parenting through grief is that I want to tell you who this person is. And I show her pictures and I show her and she kind of like gets it, but doesn't understand what their relationship is. So I hope like in the future, as she grows and understands more of like mommies do have mommies. And so, yeah, I mean, just relating to those things with my daughter, it's what makes it hard. On my part, this is that she doesn't understand. And she's not an age that she really understands what grandparents and grandma are. So she knows she has a very close relationship with her living grandparents, but she doesn't get what they mean to us. To her, they're just like, yeah, I have a mom and I have a grandma and a grandpa. But they don't, she doesn't realize, well, yeah, those are your dad's parents. Like she doesn't get that. And it's really hard for me to kind of like go through that motion with her. And, you know, and like you were saying, it really spoke to me when you said earlier about like the grief doesn't go away just because it's year one, two, three. And I think that's what I struggled with a lot last fall because it was my mom's um, 10th year anniversary of her death. And I thought I was going to be, I'm going to wake up year 10 and one day and somehow the grief is going to be gone and it's been 10 years and you should be better. And Not that anybody told me that, but that's why I felt in the inside. I was like, it's been 10 years. Like, you can't be grieving this person for more than 10 years. Like, 10 years is a long time. But no, it doesn't. (laughs) You're right. And, like, you think that after so many years, it's going to decrease, but it doesn't. And, like, I've told Cindy about it. It's like, it hurts a little bit less every day. But when it still hurts a random date, it hits you full force, just like it did day one. And it's never linear and it's never, I want to say, I've gotten better. I've gotten to the point where I'm like, it doesn't hurt as much. But Mother's Day always hits you. Christmas always hits you. My daughter's birthday hits me because 
grandma's not here to celebrate with her. And so there's like little things that you think and like some birthdays, like, you know, Cassie has had three birthdays. Year one hit me really hard. Year two, it just kind of blew by and I wasn't so sad my mom wasn't here. Year three, it did. Year four, the summer, I don't know. Like it may, it's never like it can be like, oh, like I'm making baby steps and it's getting better. It's always like, well, we'll see how it goes. And like when the 10 year mark happened, like I was like, oh, like you, I want to be fine. Like, I don't know, like I was going to hit the limit and reset and my feelings were going to be fine. And they're not. And so it's true when you're speaking to friends that are going through a grieving process. Sometimes we say we can't imagine and really we can't because my grief is different than what Cindy feels and is different from what you feel. And so, you know, people are always like, I can't imagine. And I'm like, and I don't want you to like, I don't, I would never want you to experience this. And even if you did like me and Cindy losing a parent, our griefs are so much different and we're grieving different things. Like Cindy says, Yandel got to meet her dad. And that in itself is hard because Yandel is going to miss someone versus my, you know, Cassie doesn't know my mom. What that feels like, that's a pain that none of can relate. And so when people tell me, I can't imagine, I'm like, I don't really want you to, it's okay. Like, I don't want you to go through this. But it's so the, the parenting through grief is, I mean, nothing in parenting is easy. So like they give you a manual, but it's like one of those things that they just kind of comes in and you're like, great, now, why, now what do I do? <laughs> And so right. I'm just glad that we're getting to speak through it. And, you know, it is hard. And like I said, some days I'm able to talk about my mom without crying. Mm-hmm. And I tell people, it's okay. Like, you don't have to say sorry. Like, it's been 10 years. It's been 11 years. And then other times I'm like, oh, my God, the song came out. And I start crying. And it's just like, I'm mm-hmm. like I cannot tell you I'm 100% better or that you have to say sorry. Or, like, I never know how it's going to hit me. And so, yeah. It's just speaking I mean, through it. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. No, no, go ahead. It's just like speaking through it, kind of like I'm glad that we're able to share that with each other. Yes, no, I. that is what I want for like, because I'm like, everyone's going to grieve and lose. And let's talk about like, I was telling my husband, like, first I want to say you are both doing incredible in what you're doing today as parenting through grief because you are doing what you think is best for your heart for your family and that's why i feel like i'm not the one to give advice because i don't even know what i'm doing either you know um and so if you want to start celebrating your mom and buying flowers on her birthday or and then telling uh we include our children in everything everything um okay appropriate okay (laughs) um and so like i said i never i wanted them to know hey grief is gonna happen loss is gonna happen and it doesn't have to be unhealthy or scary and i know it's i can't prepare them for everything i can even prepare myself for everything you know but i never want them to see grief as like oh we don't talk about this we don't we don't bring it up. We don't, and I'm like, no, we're going to talk about it in healthy ways. We are going to honor it in healthy ways. And that's what is best for our family. And so I can be praying for you guys, for you guys to keep moving forward and doing what's best for your families, but you guys are already doing great in what you're doing. And it's hard. It's tricky. Like you said, and I understand you when you're saying she never met my mom. And so I told my husband, it's hard because they never met Noel. And I was like, that really, it hurts. It's like, it's a different grief and it's a different pain. I'm like, and my husband told me, I'm glad they did it. And I was like, excuse you. <laughs> and he was like, because I don't want them to know the depth of grief that we know at such a young age. And so whenever he, that stayed with me and I thought that was really wise because I was like, you know what? You're right. Because now that they lost my father-in-law, it hit my three-year-old really hard. She, she'll sit and I'll lay in bed with her and she'll tell me, mommy, are you sick? Like grandpa, are you going to die too? And I'll tell her, no, I'm healthy. So she asks almost every other day, are you healthy? Are you healthy? And 
he was at a local hospital here and my mother-in-law just had surgery. So we went to go visit her after her surgery. And it was the same hospital my father-in-law was at the whole time until we, is grandma, is grandma going to die too? Is she, is she sick? Is this why we're here at three? You know, like, and I thought, imagine if she would have lost her sister, you know, the void, I don't know. So just certain things like, and sometimes I'm like, I can't even go there because my mind will just go crazy, you know, but what was it going to, I was going to tell you something. You're doing great. <laughs> uh, I was going to tell you something before that, but um, parenting through grief is hard. And I think we're all going through it. And I think if we talk about it more, like we are now, mm -hmm. and like what you were just saying, Carla, like, hopefully we can break some stigma for the next generation, you know, to, to, Oh, this is what I'm going to tell you. Okay. Um, so I was telling my husband, I was like, grief should be part of daily conversation. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, you know what? We should be able to talk about, mm, I had Mac and cheese for dinner. And did you know that it was, my mom's favorite. It was a comfort food that she would make and she's not here anymore. And I really miss her today, but my day was okay. And then say, but how was your day? I told him it should be so talking about our loved ones and our grief should be so intertwined with our daily conversation in the middle of talking about Mac and cheese, because that's what I truly believe. That's what we need for our hearts. And not to heal a little bit of a time because it is cathartic to talk about your mom, your dad, my daughter. And so if we were just to allow it to enter conversation without having some stigma or saying, oh, well, that's uncomfortable. So I don't want to go there. I think that'll, that would change a lot. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's very true. Um, I think I always, I always tell people like, it's uncomfortable to bring, you know, up your dad, my dad, Carla's mom, you know, Noel, but I'm like, imagine how uncomfortable it is for the person that is living through the grief every day. And I'm like, now that's uncomfortable, you know? Yes. And so I'm like, yeah, I mean, bring them up, speak about them. And it's hard for me. That's something I, I think me and your husband lost our dads around the same time. So it's pretty fresh and it's very hard for me to even talk about him. Um, I hope I can, you know, one day. Um, but even then, like, yeah, it's hard, like in the sense that I thought Yandel didn't really remember him because he's, he passed away. Well, he left the house, like. And then it was like two and a half. But the other day we were at in our in his house and he saw my dad's uh, scooter and he goes, where's grandpa? And I just, it felt like my heart just like, I was like, what? And I, I even said, what, Papa? And he's like, where's grandpa? This is his scooter. And I was just like, you know, like, what do you what do you say? And at the same time, like, he's reminding me, you know, my husband's like, but Cindy, how cool is it that he remembers, you know, that he had a memory trigger and he was like, oh, where's my grandpa? He's been gone. So it's hard. It's really hard to still try to find like the joy and you don't want to be, I guess like my, my big question is like, how do you not let your sadness like affect your kid you know and like how do you not like I don't want to be this like Debbie Downer you know and and he's just like why is mommy always sad or why is she because it's his childhood you know so you I feel like you feel guilt like like moms need anything else to feel guilty about but like you feel guilty of like am I affecting the way he grows up because mommy's very sad, you know, I don't know. It's, I know there's probably no answer, but it's just what I think about him. Like, 
Oh, it's so hard. I think that's a very valid question um, that we all ask, that we all don't say, that we all don't ask, even though we're already thinking it. And so it, I heard a quote that said, grief will always be there, but the hole will get smaller the hole will get smaller. I don't want to say over time. Cause I don't think time heals all wounds. Like, I don't know who came up with that. That's just ludicrous. Like right. no, time does not heal wounds. Um, but through your healing and however long that takes, like I told you, it took me like seven years till I like, and I hope that doesn't scare anyone like seven years. Cause people are like, dang, that's a long time. Um, cause it did feel long, but like, that's, that's what it took for me, you know? Um, so, um, so the quote was the hole will get smaller as you heal over time and you won't step in it with, you won't fall into it with every step you take. And right now you are falling into grief with every step you take Cynthia. And so it feels like it's swallowing you whole. It feels like it's consuming you and like you can't, I'm assuming, I don't want to put words in your mouth that you just, you can't. And there were years, like I said, seven years where the grief and the sadness overrode joy. And there was a time where I thought I can't smile because if I smile, that means I'm going to lose her or I'm not honoring her enough. Or if I have a good time and laugh, that means that I'm not remembering her. And that's not true. You know, as, and mm -hmm. it, it's a push and it's a tugging with your heart and your mind. Um, because you feel like, but I am dishonoring them and I'm not remembering them in the best way possible, but you are because if she was here, if Noel was here, if your mom was here, if your dad was here, you'd be playing with your kids and happy, you know, and you would be, I don't know, going to your favorite restaurants and eating all the chips and queso and really enjoying it. You know, like we're so scared to enjoy things again. And I think that's normal. Um, we shouldn't stay there, but it's normal. Like what you feel is normal. It's not bad. Um, and it's just something you person, like, like I said, it's, it's a war with inside yourself. It's an internal war that you have to, it's, it's going to consume you for a while because it's so fresh, right? you know, and I don't want you to feel like you're a bad mom for it because you're not, but I don't blame you for feeling like that. I think I'd feel the same way. I know I did feel the same way. Yeah, no, I, I like that quote that you said. It's like every day, I guess, the you know, every year that goes by, you know, we're not going to, and I'm sure Carla can relate. Also, her mom has been passed away for 10, 10 years, Carla. And so I'm sure now she realizes like the whole smaller, but every, you know, every once in a while, she's going to trip into that hole and be like sad and, and fall into it for a bit. But, um, I think, so how did you, I know you are a big, bit advocate for like grieving and, and, and all of that. How did, what do you do to, to. I guess, channel your grief and, and show people that it's okay that these, you know, to take away that stigma and kind of celebrate, you know, that, you know, you had your daughter, you grieved and like you survived it and to let other people know it's okay to be feeling that way. What, what do you do? I like to write. Um, so I write a lot. And when I was pregnant with Noel, my best friend gave me a little journal, tiny little three by five journal. And I think that's what fueled it. And I realized that's what helped me. Um, most of what I write won't see the light of day. 
I'm not because it's dark and twisted or anything. It's just, you know, it's just what helped me. And so I figured writing helps. Writing helps me. And um, yeah, I mean, for me, that's what helped. But it's going to be different for everyone, you know. So I was, I was very fortunate to realize that writing was cathartic for me at the very beginning. And so ever since then, I've been writing little one sentence things or five page things or, you know, so. And so for some people, it may be dancing or walking or exercising or cooking or baking. And I don't, you just have to find what feels healing to you and what sparks a little bit of joy during the heavy seasons of grief. I mean, thank you for talking about this with us. I think um, it's going to help a lot of people and I'm glad that you're willing to talk about this and to, you know, cause I do have friends that I think they were, it's been also time and, they're just not there and I, and that's okay. But I think hearing you be able to speak about it will be healing for them. Um, and thank you for sharing a bit of Noel with us. Um, and she's special and her parents are special and her sisters are special. Um, so thank you very much for, for coming on and, I know you have a lot more to share and I had a lot of people ask for you to talk about everything, <laughs> but I know we, we just don't have the time. Um, so we'll, we'll have you back on soon. Um, if you're willing and you could talk about, uh, the other processes after Noel and, you know, coming to the, uh, conception of your other daughters. Um, so, but thank you very much, Alex. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for giving us, people like me and the other um, guests, uh, a platform to voice our hearts. I mean, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because without your platform, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here today with you ladies. And so I love what you guys are doing. You guys are pioneering for our local community and not just our local community, but the community of what we need in motherhood and pregnancy and everything. So I'm very grateful and thankful to have crossed paths with both of you. So thank you. Thank you so thank much, you. ladies. Thank you.